Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanksgiving Day, 2002. Where was Marcus Rogers? The day before, his fiancée, Tori, came home to an empty apartment. They lived in the Timbertop Complex on Portage Trail in Akron. She made a check of the rooms, cast a cursory glance through the window of the garage, then called his parents home. He wasn't there. The night passed with no sign of him and no word from him. There was cause to worry. It had been a rough year. The 22-year-old Marcus operated a rap music company, Hillbilly Records. He'd been partners with his older brother, Javan. But that summer, Javan was kidnapped. The assailants called Marcus, demanded an amount of money that he didn't have. The next morning, Javan was found alongside a roadway in Youngstown, naked, bound, and shot in the head. That was just three months earlier. Now, the Rogers family was missing a second son. On Thanksgiving morning, Tori showered and dressed for the family gathering while hoping Marcus would show up with an explanation for where he'd been. Meanwhile, Marcus's father, Robert Allen, arrived at the apartment to give Tori a ride to the dinner. No doubt about it, he was worried. His son had been missing a full day. Together, he and Tori opened the garage door. Maybe there was a clue to his absence in the car. That's when Robert discovered something Tori had missed the day before. It was Marcus's body, lying next to his car, shot to death. Several bullet casings littering the garage floor gave the impression there had been a gunfight. It was a battle that Marcus had lost. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and BeaconJournal.com, this is Unresolved, a look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Paula Schleiss, co-host of Ohio Mysteries, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as stories in print and online, are Akron Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith and my Ohio Mysteries co-host, Steve Yoder. Now, Unresolved, Episode 16, Javan and Marcus Rogers. Javan and Marcus Rogers were just two years apart, but their grandma, Elsie Allen, said they seemed more like twins. They were inseparable, growing up in Akron, sharing the same interests, 
the same circle of friends. I've never seen two brothers as close as they were, Elsie once told an Akron Beacon Journal reporter. They also shared a dream. They became entrepreneurs together, launching Hillbilly Records to produce rap music with the help of some family investors. Javan was better known as J-Mo. Marcus's friends called him Money Mark. But producing records wasn't their only income. Both had convictions for drug trafficking. They moved cocaine, the drug of choice, back in 2002. Javan served 10 months for it. And though police to this day don't know all the details, they came to believe it wasn't just a past transgression that Javan and Marcus had both kept a hand in that shadowy world. Still, people are more than their best day or their worst flaw, and Javan and Marcus were beloved by those who knew them. They each had children. They each had a pregnant fiancé. They had parents who adored them. My boys were good boys, their father, Robert Allen, told a reporter. They weren't thuggish kids. The Rogers family members didn't want to be interviewed for this story. Tamika, Javan's fiance, was willing to share her memories of Javan in an email. Javan was an amazing partner, son, grandson, brother, uncle, father, and friend who loved his family and friends, she wrote. He was a positive leader. He was a protector. He was kind and giving, always made sure we were taken care of. His mother, Vicky, and his grandmother, Elsie, were so important to him. Through his actions, he always showed them how much he loved them. Tamika said Javan had an infectious smile that lit up every room he walked into. He loved to host parties, including a yearly birthday celebration and record release bashes that many in the city looked forward to. She also said Javan had big plans for his future. He had so many dreams, she wrote, so many goals he wanted to accomplish at such a young age. He was determined to put himself in a position to live and give his family a good life. I can only imagine where he would be and how many goals he would have crushed if his life wasn't cut short. But cut short it was. In August of 2002, the Rogers family was about to be shattered. On August the 26th, 2002, 24-year-old Javan and fiancé Tamika were living on North Portage Path in Akron, not far from where it intersects with West Market Street in the Highland Square neighborhood. That evening, Tamika came home to find Javan's car in its place, but no sign of him. At first, she wasn't too concerned. Maybe somebody picked him up, or he walked somewhere close by. Then Tamika noticed some things in the house were out of place. A mattress removed from the bed. Items from the closet scattered on the floor. When Javan hadn't returned home by 2 a.m., 
his mother, Vicki Rogers, called police and filed a missing persons report. Here's Detective Jim Pasilich of the Akron Police Department, who was an original investigator and remains on the case. I don't think there was a big concern right away that, hey, he's not here. But then later on, when she doesn't, then I think they call him. And I think that maybe they thought there might have been somebody that went through the house or something like that looking for something. As detectives began knocking on doors in the neighborhood, they realized Javan did not vanish without a trace. There were eyewitnesses. Around 10.30 that night, people had seen a blue minivan at the residence, possibly a Dodge or a Chrysler. There were two men with guns. They wore masks, hoods, blue t-shirts, and blue shorts. They hustled Javan into the minivan and drove away. One witness says he didn't call the police because he was afraid for his own life. I think there was even a neighbor in his building that heard this commotion probably going on. And he even says, hey, I didn't call the police. We were looking out the window then because they hear this commotion inside. Um, looks out the window of the carport and then sees him getting forced in the car. Um, they think the people see him, so they don't look in the window no more, but they don't call the police either until the police show up. Okay. Because he doesn't want to be involved in whatever's going on. Now, is but that's pretty typical. Other neighbors eventually came forward. Detective Lieutenant Dave Whitten remembers when he first heard the reports coming over the radio. We were kind of, I remember back, we were listening to the details on a call. And we're like, this isn't good. This isn't going to end well. Because I mean, some we actually had witnesses that saw him pushed into the van. And I'm like, this is. We all had to feel. I remember Shafe, and we were all Carrie. We we're all like, this isn't going to end well. It did not end well. The next morning, just before 7 a.m., Javan was found an hour away by Youngstown police. He was lying alongside Waverly Avenue, near a stretch of railroad tracks. He was naked, hands handcuffed behind his back, duct tape covering his mouth and his eyes. He was shot in the back of the head twice, execution style. He's not all the way in the weeds. He's actually halfway on the road and halfway in the weeds, which makes us think he was kind of dumped out of a car, drive-by, pushed out, away we go. Um, so if I remember right, there wasn't a call in. I think the police just in their normal patrol. And he may have been shot right there. A 9 millimeter bullet shell casing was recovered from the scene. Two departments are initially involved. Youngstown, the site of the murder. Akron, the site of the abduction. Eventually, Youngstown is more than happy to relinquish their role, and Akron takes over. I want to say we spent we spent months over there. Um, I came off a afternoon detective bureau for a while and was then with day shift, and we just started going over there almost every day for months, just trying to track that stuff down. Back home in Akron, police interviewed dozens of people, including Javan's brother Marcus. But Marcus is not telling investigators all that he knows. And detectives have to learn from others that he had been in contact with the killers throughout the night. Detective Pasilich said the abductors called Marcus asking for money, a hundred grand for starters. That might not have been a random number. They might have been asking for money they were owed. 
you give us such and such money and we'll release him. Um, I don't have that much money. You give us this much money, we'll release him. And then he's found deceased the next day. He'd already been shot. Um, so I think obviously somebody wanted something or somebody thought something was taken. There's some ransom going on. It's usually over something that somebody took or somebody believes is owed to them. But Marcus was never forthcoming with us. Again, everybody's always afraid to say something bad that they've done or illegally done, even if it has nothing to do with what you're looking at. Um, so even if that's true, let's say that Marcus did owe somebody some money and that's what they kidnapped Trevan for is to get their money back that they believe was owed to them. Um, if Marcus is doing something wrong, whether he's selling drugs or whatever he's doing wrong, he, it's hard for them to come forward to us and say, oh, you know, I was, I was doing this, this, and this, and everything's wrong. It's all against the law. I mean, it's hard for them to say that. But at that point, we don't care about that. We just want to try to get to the bottom line of what was going on and who did this. But you always have that baggage that comes with it. And that's why I said you get down those rabbit holes because now you're starting to investigate something. You're going this way, and you shouldn't go that way because it has nothing to do with nothing. But you get stuck in that, and then everything else just goes longer and longer and longer and harder and harder to solve. Three months pass. The investigation into Javan's murder continues, but investigators are hindered by lies, half-truths, and omissions. Meanwhile, the Rogers family tries to move forward. Marcus takes over the role of CEO with Hillbilly Records and keeps alive the vision that he and his brother shared. And on Thanksgiving Day, like families all over America, the Rogers plan a traditional gathering to count the blessings that remain. But there will be no celebration this day. For a second time, the world will come to a tragic stop for the Rogers family. Thanksgiving morning, Robert Allen called Akron police to report he had found the body of his son Marcus in his son's garage. He'd been shot in the chest the day before, though nobody knew it then. Marcus's fiance, Tori, had come home to an empty apartment. Wondering where he was, she had peeked through a window into the garage, but hadn't seen him lying on the floor. It wasn't until the next day, when Robert arrived to give Tori a ride to Thanksgiving dinner, that they opened the garage and found Marcus inside. Investigators found themselves repeating many of the same steps they had taken in the case of Javan, interviewing the same people, visiting some of the same places, considering the same possible motives. There were differences. This time... The crime scene was contained. Marcus was confronted and killed in his garage, an ambush with a still undetermined number of assailants. Javan had been taken from his garage and a ransom asked before he was killed 50 miles away. Given that the two men were brothers, both cut down three months apart, it begged the question, was Marcus's murder a second chapter of the same story? Were the same assailants involved? 
Were they seeking retribution for the same offense? A key to solving both murders, whether or not they were connected, was figuring out the motive. It was easy to think drugs or some sort of debt was likely involved, but detectives just couldn't pin down the scenario. Um, Information came up shortly thereafter that they uh, dealt in some weight. They weren't just nickel and diamond stuff. There was actually some weight involved in all this. And there could have been uh, maybe a rip. They might have ripped somebody off or owed somebody money. There was always some question about uh, counterfeit money at some point, that maybe something was bought with counterfeit money and the group wanted their money back from that. I mean, there's all kinds of theories. I will say that I believe that the narcotics unit at the time had a at least one or two buys off of Javan at the time, or very close to the time of his death. With no answer to the question why, the Rogers family felt far from safe. There were four more siblings and other family members intimately involved in their lives and activities. Vicki Rogers said in a 2002 interview, I lost two kids and I wonder why. I pray it's over. Robert Allen revealed in an interview with the Beacon Journal in 2002 that some people had told him they thought the murders could have been related to Hillbilly Records. People keep saying it's about the music, Allen said, but I don't think it's pertaining to that. Still, it was a theory police had to consider. The rap music industry had a history of violence. Producers and musicians were known to use their lyrics to pass on messages of disrespect, even threats to their enemies. It was just a few years earlier that rap stars Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G., part of the East Coast-West Coast hip-hop rivalry, were both murdered in drive-by shootings. But there was no real evidence that the music the Rogers brothers had produced would have generated a homicidal response from an adversary. So, the motivation remains a mystery. But if the question of why was a hard one, police were making progress on the question of who. At least in Javan's abduction and murder, they had a very strong suspect in mind. Less than two weeks after Javan's body was found in Youngstown, a woman in that city called police to report that a man had taken a shot at her while driving past her home, and she identified him by name. Police investigated her report and found a 9mm shell casing at the scene of the drive-by shooting. Two weeks after that, police arrested the 30-year-old Youngstown man that she accused, and they recovered a 9mm handgun that the man had dumped during a car chase. They submitted the weapon to Ohio's Bureau of Criminal Investigation, along with the shell casing found near Javan Rogers' body and the shell casing from the drive-by. 
the BCI determined the shell casing from the drive-by was not a match. But the casing found near Javan's body was. Now, we're not naming the suspect here. He no longer faces charges in this case, and we're going to explain why. Because he doesn't, Ohio Mysteries will follow the Akron Beacon Journal policy of not naming him. We'll simply refer to him as the Youngstown Man. So, Akron authorities are now aware that bullets from the Youngstown Man's gun killed Javan. But the investigation will continue for another five years. Nearly a hundred people will be interviewed, and police were still searching for accomplices. After all, witnesses had seen two masked men force Javan into that minivan, and there were suggestions they may have been hired to do the job. But once again, the lies, half-truths, and omissions from witnesses and others, complicated this case beyond measure. In 2007, Akron police and the Summit County prosecutor believed they finally had all they were going to get, and they thought it was enough to land the one suspect. They arrested the Youngstown man, brought him to Akron, and charged him with the abduction and murder of Javan. Detective Pasilich explains the decision. We don't want to go forward until we know for sure that we believe we can prove this. We're not going to arrest somebody and say, ah, it's a 50-50 shot. That's not normally how we work with the homicides. So, Because you normally get one by that apple. So you better have all your ducks in a row when you get there. And we believe we were at that point. We didn't think we were going to get any additional information later on. But there's something that Summit County authorities don't know and won't find out until they are preparing for trial. Five years earlier, when those shell casings from the Youngstown man's gun were tested, there had been a mix-up. The bullet casing that Youngstown police collected from Javan's murder and the casing from the woman shot at in that drive-by may have been switched and mislabeled by Youngstown police before they were sent off to BCI for testing. Youngstown police thought they had made the error, told BCI so, then called back and retracted it, saying everything was properly done. It was probably just inappropriate evidence handling, Youngstown police captain Rod Foley told us recently. Still, Nobody told Akron that discussion had taken place, and a record of the confusion from five years earlier remained. And here's the thing. If there is even a hint of tainted evidence, a good defense attorney would have no problem using it to raise reasonable doubt. As Detective Pasilich said, prosecutors only get one bite at the apple. So rather than risk a jury finding the Youngstown man not guilty because of the compromised ballistics test, the Summit County Prosecutor's Office decided to drop the charges against the Youngstown man and hope that sometime in the future, new evidence would open another door. 
in stating his request that the court dismiss the charges, Assistant Summit County Prosecutor Gregory Peacock said, A trial in this case would not be in the interest of justice for either the defendant or the victim's family. Summit County Common Pleas Judge Patricia Cosgrove agreed, saying the compromised evidence is, quote, a situation that strikes at the very heart of our democracy and our justice system. But it was a very dark day for the Rogers family, who were present in that courtroom when they realized the man they believed responsible for Javan's death was going to get away with it. The victim's mother, Vicki Rogers, said, I waited five years to get some justice, and I didn't get it so I feel like the system failed me. Judge Cosgrove asked that an investigation be done into the handling of the evidence to determine if there had been an accident or if there had been a switch, and maybe one done on purpose. It's been more than 20 years since that happened, and nobody with local or state authorities could tell us what happened to that investigation. Lieutenant Brian Butler of the Youngstown Police Department said they no longer have records of the investigation because it was purged in keeping with the department's records retention policy. As for the suspect, Youngstown's Captain Rod Foley said the Youngstown man at the center of the case had been involved in many serious crimes when the Rogers brothers were murdered 20 years ago but he hasn't heard anything about the man for many years now. Akron police also have no idea where he is and what he's been up to. Pasilich and Widden said it will be hard to solve these murders without using the shell casing, evidence that is now and forever off limits to them. Widden said until that mix-up, investigators had done some great work in order to figure out who the top suspect was in Javan's murder. They actually did a good job finding out where the gun came from. I mean, we, that, a lot of the investigation was the, him and Shafe tracing the gun. They did a good job. They found out it was stolen. They interviewed, found out who it was stolen from, who stole it. Um, uh, yeah, I forgot about all that. And who, how Aaron got the gun. So they did a nice job tying that up, you know, wrapping that up. Um, and But... You know, like Jimmy said, that, 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 that that's the case. I mean, the shell casing was the case, the match to the weapon. You know, the murder weapon was the case. And with that, I, you know how Greg is. I mean, that was, if that's your main evidence, and it's it's already tainted, and not tainted, but. It's already questioned. The, the allegations, yeah. you're already questions about it, then, you know, it would make sense for him to, to dismiss it. However, there is no top suspect in Marcus's murder, and still nothing decisive to say they were even connected. Detective Pasilich said that doesn't mean the cases are unsolvable. There's always somebody. Obviously, we know there's more than one person involved. So if you, for whatever reason, that person gets a conscious or is looking at some heavy time and decides, hey, I'm finally going to tell the truth about this, I mean, you can always have that. Uh, Marcus, I mean, that could be a one-on-one -on -one deal. Who knows? There's nothing. There's no eyewitness to tell us there was more than one person or... Ten people there, we have no clue. But we know there was more at Marcus's, or I mean Javan. So if you could ever get that person, one of the people just to break and tell you. 
If you have any information that could help solve one or both of these cases, please call Detective Jim Pasilich or Lieutenant Dave Whitten of the Akron Police Department at 330-375-2490. That's it for this month's edition of Unresolved, a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and the Akron Beacon Journal. just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details